0: Hello and welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Project 119 Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Mary, and it's my pleasure on this Friday, September 15th, to welcome two guests to the podcast. Both of these guests are working at the Birmingham Metro Baptist Association. First, we'll have reading for us Mary Teal, who is a ministry intern there, and then we'll also have Marisa Taylor, who is the Church Resource Specialist and a dear friend of mine as well. So we look forward to having time at the end of the podcast to talk about things of life and ministry with
1: each of these ladies.
0: Thank you for joining the podcast today.
1: Well, thank y'all so much for having me today. I'm so happy to be with y'all. I will be reading Matthew 11, 1 through 19 in the New American Standard Bible. So when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now while in prison, John heard about the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or are we to look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind receive sight, and those who limp walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is any person who does not take offense at me. As these disciples of John were going away, Jesus began speaking to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been treated violently, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come." The one who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a song of mourning, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a heavy drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds." Hi, it's Marisa. Thank you so much for having
2: me, and I will be reading Psalm 19 from the New American Standard Version. For the music director, a Psalm of David. The heavens tell of the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out into all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is like a groom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices like a strong person to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple." The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much more than gold. Sweeter than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, your servant is warned by them. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be innocent, and I will be blameless of great wrongdoing. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. Thank you so much, Mary and Marisa, for joining the
0: podcast and for reading so beautifully for us. First, I want to talk to Mary a little bit about herself. We just met a couple of months back, and I heard some of her testimony, and it was amazing. So Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to Birmingham, and a little about your family.
1: Yes. So a little bit about myself. I'm from Montgomery, Alabama. I grew up there. My parents, I say, are my deepest disciples. They really just emulated the love of Christ in our home, and were always pointing us to Him. So I'm so thankful for that and just the gift of having parents that prayed for me, encouraged me, and loved me in such a Christ-like manner. Um, And then I have two sisters. So my older sister is in Birmingham, and then my younger sister is now in Tuscaloosa. And I moved to Birmingham in April to begin doing a little ministry work and some seminary online during this season.
0: And tell me what you do at the Birmingham Metro Baptist Association.
1: So a part of my role at the Birmingham Metro Baptist Association is getting to share my story and just get to trace the faithfulness of God in the ways that He spoke to me, called me, has led me through many different seasons, and um, also getting to just help Marisa do all of the many, many things that she does and serve wherever there is a need. Have you always felt a call to missions? I think my story is really sweet because I would say looking back, it's a lot easier to see the burden and the Lord begin to shape and mold my heart and prepare my heart for missions before I would have been able to recognize I'm going to get to be a missionary when I'm older. So even looking back to first grade, being a part of First Baptist Montgomery and being a part of their GAs and hearing about missionaries, that kind of stuff made me super excited. Getting to hear their stories, like I just thought it was cool as a first grader, getting to learn about different cultures. And I felt a burden, honestly, at that age. And I think that really was the Holy Spirit beginning to soften my heart towards the advancement of the gospel into the unreached places, and then moving on from there, like getting into my middle school years and getting to um, read a book like Kisses from Katie and hear about a girl that had given her life and her all to get to live among the people of Uganda, and then sitting my parents down as a middle schooler and telling them that our family was supposed to move to Uganda, Um, (laughs) and they said no to that one, (laughs) but yeah, I just think it's sweet. I think the Psalm rings true of the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. So for me, like getting to go on the mission field felt more like a gift than a sacrifice. It felt like something very gracious and kind for the Lord to burden my heart and then lead me in the ways that he did to get to go.
0: So after you talked with your parents and you said, hey, we're going to Uganda, and they're like, no, 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 they did make provisions to allow you to do some mission work as a teenager. So tell me a little more about that.
1: Mm -hmm. So yes, the initial answer was no, but I think it opened a lot of conversations in our home around the dinner table, even praying for the nations um, before we would eat together and share a meal became part of our family's routine. So I felt very heard and respected, even in the the original no. like it was a, like, let's keep talking about it. And so then the earthquake in Haiti happened in 2010, and my church began doing missions down there, and they opened it up for families to get to go. So I asked a more realistic question of, can we go on one of those trips down there? And I very much felt a peace when I was down there. I also say it was like the first time I felt the power of the Holy Spirit or even the first time seeing people worship God that had nothing and just their heart for him and their love for him really changed my perspective of just how good he really is and how much he really does care and how he really is worthy of all of the glory, honor, and praise. And I think getting to do that with my parents also began to prepare their hearts for the release of me going for two years. So yeah, it really is just like the faithfulness of God to be with us in those moments to give me the peace and the courage and the confidence that I needed to be able to go later. And then also to allow my parents to get to see that was sweet.
0: So then tell me about the process of your most recent trip. You went as a journeyman missionary, with the Southern Baptist Convention to Uganda, to the northeastern part of Uganda. Tell me how you got there.
1: Yes, so I went to Clemson, actually, to study plant environmental sciences. I had a big plan to do agricultural work on the field, and I did get to do a little bit of that. But then when I was looking at the job descriptions for the Journeyman program, I thought my keyword that I was looking for was going to be like farmer, agriculturalist, something in that realm. And I scrolled through hundreds of jobs and none of them said anything about farming. So I was like, Oh my goodness, Lord, like, what do I do? And so I just began praying through all of the jobs, honestly, until they kind of started narrowing themselves down for like what gifts I feel like the Lord has given me like, what is the burden of my heart, because I do think that the Lord stirs in our spirits and speaks to us. And I could just see how the Lord had equipped me in certain ways to get to go to A more rural context. Like I think subconsciously as well, I had kind of always envisioned myself in that kind of setting. And so when I read the job description for Kabong, I felt a deep peace. I felt an excitement, like I wanted to go there. Um, And so then when I had my first interview with the team leaders to see if it would be a good fit, they actually said, like we were really excited when we saw your resume come through because we've been praying for years for the Lord to send someone that can do agriculture. So then I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Wow. Um, But it's sweet when he like reveals things like one step at a time of like, don't turn back in fear. Like he still has a plan for this and he's still like working and moving. It just took an extra bit of trust um, that I wasn't anticipating, but it was like, I still yeah, got to see him reveal himself in unexpected ways.
0: So what did you do while you were in Uganda? I mean, you were there for two years, so you did a lot of things. But if you could put into a nutshell, what did you do?
1: So our day-to-day in Kabang looked like engaging in the different components of the missionary task. So we would do a lot of evangelism, a lot of discipleship, a lot of leadership development. And then I was there in a super fruitful season Um, I like to say that I stood on the shoulders of the missionaries that were there before who were faithful to sow, even when they maybe weren't seeing much fruit, uh, but they just continued to go out and share. And so then when I was there, it seemed almost as if the Lord was giving a new heart, giving a heart of understanding, and they just began to really hunger for the Lord. They began to see what their wickedness was and like desire to follow after the one true God. So in 2022, we planted six churches among the Karamajang, which was such an incredible thing to get to be a part of. And so, yeah, lots of storying, lots of just getting to be with the people, be a part of their lives, do a lot of gardening and honestly, just a lot of sitting and hanging out and spending time together and really just becoming a part of their lives, which I'm so thankful for.
0: Tell me a little bit more about this people group.
1: Okay, yeah, so the Karamajong are still a pretty tribal people group. They're in the northeast corner of Uganda, so it's still referred to as the bush. Like, we drive 10 hours from the city to get into this area, so pretty hard to reach physically even. It's a remote region, a barren region. Um, since they're tribal, there's a lot of raidings and revenge. It's a hard culture to see and witness just because their wickedness looks like witchcraft and idolatry and revenge and a lot of alcoholism um, and a lot of child neglect and hunger. And so, yeah, getting to witness a different culture and a different people, you really do just begin to plead for God to be merciful, but you also get to see how merciful he truly is being in pursuing these people and making a way to these people. Because as hard as Kabang was, like we never doubted that the Lord loved them or was with them or was caring for them. Like if I got to choose a verse of what Kabang was, it would be Isaiah forty three nineteen, of behold, the Lord is about to do a new thing. Do not perceive it. He makes ways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so that's what it felt like. If we got to see him move on behalf of people that had been chained to witchcraft, chained to alcoholism, and he freed them and healed them from those things. And so, yeah, as hard as it was, it like made so much room to see his glory and his goodness among the people.
0: Mary, now being back in the United States after such a wonderful experience, but such a different experience with the people who are living off the land in the bush, and now you're back in Birmingham, Alabama, how, do you, how does what God has taught you in Uganda translate back to the United States and your work here for his kingdom?
1: I would say I'm so thankful for the ways that God gave meaning to a lot of words that I had been holding on to. And the pastor maybe even had thought that I was understanding. But now when I hear like Jesus is enough or Jesus is my rock, it's like I know on a whole nother level what it felt like to be shaken, to felt feel stripped bare and things like that. And just God proving himself over and over again to me in the most like sweet, tender ways, um, has really shifted. I feel like my whole perspective and walk with him of like, Jesus truly is my treasure and my everything. And like, I love being in his presence. And so before we went on the field, The thing that they encouraged us most to do, they were like, if you don't do anything else on the field, like abide in Jesus, like remain in him and he will remain in you. And I think that is honestly like what sustained me through my term is spending time with Jesus, treasuring him, like seeking him in all things and knowing like, yeah, even when there's nothing else, like I have Jesus and his grace truly is sufficient like, I like to think of myself as a little clay jar, and that's from 2 Corinthians 4, and it's to show our treasure and that the surpassing worth of Jesus is like what we're holding.
0: That's a beautiful testimony, Mary, and thank you for sharing with us. I hope you'll be able to share some of our mission friends groups and our GAs, even with our youth group. And Mary is available if you're listening to this podcast, but you're not at Mount Baptist. She's available to speak at churches and you can get in touch with her on the BMBA website. Okay, I'm going to switch over to Marisa. And Marisa Taylor, as I mentioned earlier, works with the BMBA as the church resource specialist. But I met Marisa first at a conference for women in ministry at Beeson, and then we've worked in partnership in ministry over the years. So, thank you for joining us today. I want you to share a little bit about your family and then your call to ministry.
2: Well, thank you again so much for having me. And uh, a little bit about my family. Um, I'm married to Brandon, and we've been married for 21 years. Um, and he's an educator by profession. He's a principal now uh, at a middle middle school. He loves middle school students, so. Uh, Think of that what you will. And uh, we have a daughter, Allie, who is 15, and uh, she's a sophomore in high school. And a little bit about my call to ministry is a little bit of a long and winding road, which I feel like most people it is. But my growing up experience of people in ministry was definitely male-dominated. We had my senior pastor, our youth minister, worship minister, everyone, you know, was male. Uh, And it wasn't until uh, while my mom was battling cancer and she was in the hospital, there was a female chaplain that came to see her, and I was the only one in the room, and I wound up talking to her for a while. And the way that she prayed for us and just kind of her authenticity and um she didn't try to put a positive spin on what was happening. She just was so genuine and authentic and so kind and caring. And it was really my first experience seeing a woman in ministry. And I think that was when, you know, looking back, God originally planted kind of a seed in my heart of what he would call me to.
0: Well, how did you make your way from that experience to seminary and then now working at the BMBA?
2: Well, I was uh, in Samford uh, at the time. I was going to Sanford and I was a psychology major and my plan was to be a counselor. And it was my sophomore year at Sanford when my mom passed away. And kind of through that and just my spiritual journey through that, a couple years later, When I was thinking about what my next steps were going to be, God just continued to bring to mind uh, that calling. You know, once I kind of felt that calling, um, even through a journey of grief, um, He continued to bring that to my mind, and it became really clear to me that my next step was not to go to school to be a counselor, but was to go to seminary and um, receive the training that I needed to, you know, serve Him through ministry. And you
0: just happened to
2: have a wonderful seminary at Saint campus. I did. I actually thought that I needed to go somewhere different than than Sanford. So I visited several other seminaries and. Uh, really went to the admissions office at Beeson and made an appointment there kind of as a, well, maybe I should just, it is right here, (laughs) look, and I just felt at home immediately, and it became just super duper clear that that was where the Lord was leading me to go, and I'm very grateful. I loved every minute of my seminary experience, and my whole time uh, in seminary, I was working in the local church as well. So it was a good way to kind of stay grounded with all of that deep theological education to be leading a student ministry and communicating with with kids that age. So it was good.
0: When did you transition from working in the local church to working at the BMBA?
2: So it was almost four years ago. It was uh, December of twenty nineteen. Chris Crane, who's our executive director, actually was my pastor for 13 years. I worked on church staff with him and did you know, family ministry mostly. When he and Michael Etheridge, who's our director of operations, when they contacted me, uh, their first question was, if I came on staff, what would I like to do? What did I think that God was calling me to do? And I really had to think about it because it was just such an open-ended and gracious thought of being able to really serve the local churches in ways that I was you know uniquely gifted I guess to to serve them and that's kind of the way that I see associational work is we're here to serve and help the local church because the local church is fulfilling the Great Commission in their congregation, in their communities, and we're here to help. And as the church resource specialist, I like to refer to myself as the phone-a-friend at the association. So if there's anybody in the church that has a question or needs help with something or is looking for a local mission project or a church partnership, they can you know email or text or call me, and if I don't know the answer, I'll find it for them.
0: You happen to know a couple of our members of the church too, Miss Pat Ferguson and Miss June Whitlow. Tell me about that connection.
2: So I love June Whitlow and Pat Ferguson. They are two of my favorite people. I met them uh, when June became the director of the WMU for the Birmingham Metro Baptist Association. And she would come every Wednesday to the office. And Pat was her driver and self-described administrative assistant. <laughs> so she would come too. And I just had so much fun getting to know them. And they... Are just forces of nature. I would see June speak at our executive board meetings, and if she encouraged um, and admonished the pastors to do something, they did it because they wanted to make sure that Miss June was happy. Um, And I just appreciate both of them in such different ways, like the heart that they have for ministry and for the church and just their servant attitudes. And they make things happen. If I, if ever I had something going on, like our missionary appreciation banquet, or I needed help with something like Christmas stockings for season of our savior at Christmas They were always the first ones to help and to make sure that their team of WMU ladies were on board and ready to serve and just make it happen.
0: Would you share with us your
2: journey of faith and maybe a couple of spiritual milestones along the way? Uh, My journey of faith, uh, it's kind of like my call to ministry is a bit of a long, and winding road. I did not grow up in church. Um, The first time that I remember being in a church was for my father's funeral when I was nine. But a couple years later, when my mom married my stepdad, he was a Christian and attended a Southern Baptist church, and this was outside of the Washington, D.C. area. So I think kind of my first milestone was just having that regular um, experience of being in church. And seeing the way that my stepfather's faith impacted his life and really governed everything that he did, he was such a kind and wonderful man. And really, there was no step to his stepfathering. He loved me just like his biological children And continued to take care of me long after um, my mother had passed away. Um, So I think his example of faith was kind of my first mile marker. And then when we moved from Virginia to Tennessee outside of Nashville in my eighth grade year, we got plugged into a local church and I got involved in the youth ministry. And just through Sunday school leaders and just different people in the church really taking me under their wing and mentoring me. And it, it kind of growing from something that I was just exposed to, just something that was you know personal and important to me. So those are definitely milestones. And then what I mentioned earlier about seeing that female chaplain and call to ministry, and I really think that, transitioning from being in the local church to working at the association has been a big milestone for me because just being able to serve the Lord in a different way and to use the 20 years of church ministry, um, I'm dating myself, but to use those 20 years that I served a local church and be able to um, pour that into 180 churches across the city of Birmingham is just such a blessing. Before we go, I wonder if you would make some commentary on one of the passages that we read. The verses in Psalm 19 that I read that really just jumped off the page at me were verses 7 through 9, where it goes through the law of the Lord being perfect, and it restores the soul. And all through those verses, it says something about God and then what the result of that is. And all of the words that it uses are so different from what we associate with people. It just, to me, speaks of the sovereignty and the depth of the Lord and how His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. So if it's okay, I'm just going to read those again. Um, It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So just those words, perfect, sure, bright, pure, clean, and true, are what really just spoke to me of how beautiful God is.
0: Marisa, would you end our time together with prayer? Certainly. Let's pray.
2: Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. And I thank you just for the opportunity to open your word together. I thank you for this opportunity on this podcast, for every ear that is listening, that you would speak to them, that your word would uh, just blossom in their hearts, God, and that you would uh, use these verses from today to speak life and encouragement into their lives. And God, we thank you that you are pure and right and clean and righteous. And even though we are not, that we can rely and trust in you. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.